Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Good morning. On April 10th, 1922, Critical, and it's WBT, WBT North Carolina. was born. And I remember we would listen to WBT. Yeah, it was a big broadcast for WBT. Martin Smith's Corner Store. that day out there. What do you want to hear tonight? Hello, WBT. You're on the air. Hello, Bob Lacey. Hello there, neighbor. Hello, first-timer. Taken by Trapuca. It's good. First best. Scored by Charlotte Hornet. History's been made. Hurricane Hugo has made landfall. Yeah, with no power. No information coming into the station other than the telephone. It's a very special radio station because people care. It's the John Hancock radio program. Carolina Panthers have been named the NFL's newest expansion. Panthers with their first touchdown. Bank of America Stadium. Kind of jumping back and forth in our coverage here. a long, strange trip, it still is. Throw me in the pool, please. Ray Carew's managed to evade police. I'm David Chadwick. The plane has now crashed into the World Trade Center. Uh, it would appear purposeful. We'll be the first to welcome you to our little club thingy. Bam. I'm Stacey Sims. Charlotte's Mr. Wright. The Carolina Panthers are headed to Super Bowl 50. The Star Eagles are going to win the national What's going to be the impact We may of this? see some serious issues here at midnight. We're providing insight that they're not getting anywhere else. Mr. Trump, welcome to Charlotte Radio. Good morning, Bob. Hey, gather around, my friends, in this mythical ballad. WBT. The great colossus of the South. Through the years. I love this radio station as much as you guys do, but I love this radio station because of you guys. This powerful voice of the good stuff. This is Bo Thompson's Century Podcast. over the first in time for the up, and the Southern League champions are crowned the Charlotte O's. The fans move out onto the field. They gather at the pitcher's mound. This is Steve Martin along with Paul Engels with a WBT Sports Special Report on the WBTV World Seniors Invitational Golf Tournament. Well, what we expected to be a two-man duel to the finish between third-round leaders Peter Thompson and Miller Barber took a very different turn today and an exciting turn as both Thompson and Barber faltered and crowd favorite Arnold Palmer made a charge at his first-ever Charlotte Seniors title. Palmer's charge fell short, though, Steve, stalling on the back nine, and he finished... 53-50, 36 seconds left to go. Wildcat come down on defense. Here's South Carolina's Foster, puts it up, no good. Rebound tapped by Martin, no good. Rebound up, Martin, no good. Rebound taken by Wolf of Davidson, and a jump ball, possession Davidson. Well, they did certainly well here at Charlotte Motor Speedway this week. Steve? And, of course, Bill Elliott winning his third race of his NASCAR career, his second race this season. It's quiet now. The first season is over. For the time being, the games have ceased. The stands appear empty. But filling the Coliseum is the aura of a new legacy. The legacy of Hornet Pride. Rebound, Rebound. This would be the season that made Charlotte shout. You're listening live to the Charlotte Hornets Radio Network. Hoffman, left side baseline to Reed. Six on the shot clock, he'll fire. No good. Rebound, Doherty. But it's taken by Trapuca. Head fix goes up. It's good. 
as the first basket scored by Charlotte Hornet. History has been made. 103-102, Boston. Charlotte out of timeout. Who wants to get a game? Kevin, have you met my grandmama? Well, here we are back in the Century Podcast Studio for another episode of a series that uh, has really become, I mean, this is so much fun for me. I, I grew up in Charlotte and listened to so many of these voices, but uh, I have a guy sitting across from me right now who I can uh, I can remember just like it was yesterday, <laughs> listening to WBT and hearing his voice, the longtime station sports director and later 30-year director of broadcast operations for the Charlotte Hornets, Steve Martin. Welcome back to WBT. Uh, thank you very much, Bo. What is it uh, like to be walking down that path uh, all these years later. I mean, you, you haven't been a stranger here in, in recent years, but it has been a long time since you worked here on a day-to-day basis. So so what goes through your head when you uh, arrive back at any time at, at 1 Julian? Uh, I just remember the um, when I first walked in, the station I came from up in Maine, it's where I began my career, uh, was an AM-FM-TV combo. Uh, and it was the bigger station in the market, and uh, we did a lot of, unlike... unlike markets the size of Charlotte, Mm -hmm. where you have a lot of agency work, a lot of the work commercially was done locally. So you wound up on the air a lot in a lot of different capacities. Um, And I I worked at the station, it was after I I got into this business in eighth grade, believe it or not. Uh, We had a small little radio station in Millinocket, Maine, and, and the general manager spoke to our class on a career day presentation in eighth grade. And three months later, he called me up and offered me a part-time job at the station. Wow. A week later after that, I'm on the air. So you were, you were born and raised in Maine. Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, and I actually found out something about you that I didn't know. What's that? Uh, you went to the University of Maine. I did. I, was, I, I didn't think, I mean, I didn't think you could uh, do this sort of business for your life, you know, especially if you're interested in sports. You've got to find a career. Right. <laughs> So I was going to be a you know either in history or political science something like that. So I was I I stayed at Maine as as a full time student for uh, two and a half years. I was in the first semester of my junior year, and then I got offered a full time job, and the rest is history. So uh, well, I always start with everybody hmm. uh, at zero. I always sure I ask the question: Are you like me? Did you know when you were five or six years old that uh, you had this broadcasting bug? I don't know where it came from. Somebody, you know, pointed out a, a radio that had uh, you know Casey Kasem or something coming out of it, and I always say that uh, when I heard Henry Bogan's voice coming out yeah. of it locally, yeah. that was my window in to this radio station. But I always ask everybody who sits in front of me, and you get different answers. Uh, did you know at a young age that this is what you wanted to do for for a living for life a very young age uh, when I was a young boy I a strange kid really I had uh, <laughs> 10 calendars five alarm clocks and two radios in my room and it wasn't very big it might not be as big as the studio um, and that's really kind of how to, my my interest in communications although I didn't realize it was I, I listened constantly to the radio all day parts and as I say and I got and I got a chance to 
uh, work at a very young age. And, and as I, I said earlier, uh, I started in eighth grade. There's some, you know, in, in your second semester of your eighth grade year, they come in, the guidance department comes in and says, okay, what do you want to do for the rest of your life? Mm-hmm. Duh. <laughs> well, you better start thinking about it. So we've got a program for you. We're going to bring some people in. Who do you want to talk to? And I, top of the list, radio, TV. That's where I want to, you know, that's what I want to find out about. And the general manager of the radio station came in, gave a nice presentation. There were eight of us in the class. And at the end of the school year, which was June 18th, uh, I got a call on Monday, the first day of summer vacation, nine o'clock in the morning, phone rang. And this guy by the name of Sandy Haynes is on the phone. He's the station general manager. And he said, would you like to come up and kind of look us over and maybe uh, think about a part-time job? A week later, I'm on the air. uh, And they needed a guy because they only had two full-time announcers. Radio, the the station day went from 6 in the morning until 10 at night. So two guys split it up. And that's, you know, that means everybody's Mm going to haul an eight-hour shift. So... Uh, what I was going to do, what they were going to hire me to do, was to come in and work part-time from noon to 3, then come back. We were a Red Sox affiliate. Come back, and once the game went on, I, I would just be on the air, just put the station breaks in, insert the commercials. You wouldn't hear me, but I would just, you know, and then I'd sign the station off when the mm-hmm. game was over. So I got that job on June 24, 1968. I worked 77 straight days. Wow. At the station. They couldn't get rid of me. Now, this was an all-purpose station or yeah. this uh, sports or, or what? No, no, no. It was an all-purpose station. Uh, it was in a, a place called Millinocket, Maine. Okay. There's a part of Maine that is surrounded by either the Atlantic Ocean or other New England states until you get uh, so far north. And then you're only surrounded by Canada at that point. That's <laughs> that's where yeah. uh, and that's where I lived and got into the business in, in Millinocket, Maine. Now, see, the story you tell there, uh, it's funny because I can remember eighth grade and, and I can already tell by talking to you that uh, you, like me, I had James K. Flynn in here not too sure. long ago, and, uh-huh. and he can remember every date. Like, I had Flynn and Russell together, Russell and <laughs> Flynn. Uh, Russell remembered only generalities, and James yeah. K. would say, oh, it was 3 o'clock on that afternoon. He said, how do you remember all that? Yeah. But you, uh, like James K., and I think like me to a degree, uh, you remember these moments. Oh, and sure. You, you remember exactly how long. You mentioned 8th grade, and there was a class uh, at my middle school in 8th grade, and mm-hmm. I think it was called Decisions. Yeah. But they had this test called the Myers-Briggs test, and they would bring it in, and I think most people are not in the category of you and me knowing then what we wanted to do. Most people are trying to figure out what they want to do, so they give you this test, and when the test is over, it would tell everybody, this is what, based on your scores, you are most likely equipped for right now. Maybe maybe send you off into a direction. And I remember thinking, well, if this thing doesn't say radio broadcaster, then I'm going to be really, I'm going to be unhappy if mine doesn't say that. And then someone else's does because I'm the guy here who's going to be on the radio. Darn it! Uh, and and you know uh, I I filled things out uh, and and in the end it it, it did say and uh, and ultimately obviously I'm I'm doing it like you did. But I remember being in eighth grade and knowing then what I wanted to do amongst a lot of people who did not. Now I said uh, I, I learned that you went to uh, the University of Maine. Right. You ma- you majored in political science and history. Yes. Okay. Because yeah. see. 
I did too. And I, I went to Davidson actually. Uh-huh. But when I went to Davidson, there was no communications degree. Mm-hmm. And I actually knew before I went to college, I was actually working here and then went to school and came back here. But I knew what I wanted to do. So it sounds like we have two people here that, uh, I mean, you understand you need to get an education. But even before you start that process, post high school, yeah. you know where you want to end up. Well, it's kind of like, you know you got to get an education, but here's what you want to do. <laughs> right. How do you I know? get there? Yeah. Right? How, do, how, do I get, how do I get from here to there? Um, I went through, went through high school, learned the business. A new owner took over the radio station in mm-hmm. my senior year, and he said, I don't want kids on the station anymore. You know, so he says you can work weekends or whatever. You know, but I, you know, I don't want to see you around here. And you were how old at this point? I was uh, seventeen and a half. Okay, and uh, they he brought in a whole bunch of guys from various broadcasting schools. Uh, one of them uh, caught on and became a major personality in Washington D.C. The others are probably out doing something else. Uh, but at any rate, I, I played high school football my senior year. And then I went on to the University of Maine, and and they had a student radio station on there, and they they said, look, we need people who have experience in the business to keep the station on the air overnight on the weekends. Mm-hmm. So sign up for a shift. Uh, we'll pay you a buck an hour, so on and so forth. Maximum hours are three hours a shift. So, you know, I'd be out with my friends. I said, ooh, it's 11 o'clock. i got to go to the station. <laughs> I'm going to be on the air for three hours. And... Uh, so I did. I did this for about three weeks, and I didn't see any money. And I'm going, you know, it's just a buck an hour, guys. Let's, mm-hmm. you know. And um, so I responded to an ad. They had a. Uh, they. I was in. I was in the student radio station. I was about ready to ask questions about why we weren't going to get paid, and there was a an ad for a radio sta- commercial station in Bangor, Maine. And uh, I answered it. I went. I went. And I said, "Well, I'm not going to ask any questions here. I'm going to go. Mm-hmm. Let's make the big money—a buck sixty an hour." You know. And so I did. I went to Bangor and, and uh, uh, met with a guy by the name of George Hale, and we hit it off uh, um, instantly. Next thing you know, I got a weekend gig going on, and uh, they had a guy working nights, who in December of my freshman year of college decided that he'd rather go ski instead of work at the radio station. Unfortunately, a couple of station employees made the same decision and showed up at the same ski area. <laughs> and uh, that was that last guy's day on the station. And they offered me the nighttime job. So I'm trying to hold down a college education and at the same time work on a radio station five nights a week, six nights a week, actually. Mm-hmm. I, worked, I worked Sunday through Friday. And uh, I did that all the way through college. And and then my junior year in college, uh, uh, the station said, "Look, we'd like you to come on full time." You know, so mm-hmm. here I am in 1973. I got a full time radio job. You know, so why do I need to go to college anymore? <laughs> right. Well, and so I, I got to be thinking or wondering. So you get a full time gig, and this yeah. is a step up from where you started in Maine. But Maine is not exactly the the broadcasting communication no. capital of the country. No. So were you thinking uh, during these days that okay, eventually I've got to get out of here and go somewhere bigger? No, not really. I thought I thought I could stay, and there are people who do. There are a lot of people who mm-hmm. work in, in, in broadcasting who start their career in Maine and finish it there. They may, may, may go somewhere else in between, but they always seem to come back. Or 
they may never leave. Right. I mean, I, I read about a guy, uh, I, one of the part-timers that came onto the station when, when I started, uh, just retired last year, never left Bangor. You know, so this is a market you, you can work in. But the guy who, was, the guy who uh, hired me was a longtime morning guy. I mean, I listened to him when I was seven years old. Mm-hmm. And here I am, 17 and a half, 18 years old, and I'm going to go to work for him. Uh, and then I stay at the station from 1971 until 1982. And, and, and uh, my thought is, is like, he's not leaving. Right. He's always going to be in the morning. I'm always going to butt up against his career, which I can't knock. That's the, that's the first game of the night, Brewer and Waterville. And now here's George Hale with tonight's broadcast crew. Thank you very much, Tim. Tonight our broadcast crew will include Mike Hale, who's joined us this year. Mike, you've done an outstanding job. Thank you. It's nice to be part of the team this year. Our analyst at times during the tournament is Willie Gavin. Willie, you weren't much of an athlete, but you're a great analyst. I really love the work you've done. And as a matter of fact, at 88 years old, he's still on the air up there. George, I know you've been itching to be back at this. Hey, good morning, caller. What's up? Good morning, George. I hope you had a wonderful time and you're well-rested for this call. And he is uh, he's moved on from an overall personality morning man to a into the talk radio genre right. now. And he's... You know, uh, news talk, political stuff like that, and so uh, and he's he's enjoying the heck out of life. Now, uh, for context here, I, I don't know a whole lot about Maine. I've been to Kenny Bunkport. Yeah, uh, I've been to Portland. In mm-hmm. fact, uh, when I was in high school, we took a, as a family a trip up through New England. Yeah, uh, and we went to the LL Bean store there sure. in Freeport. Oh yeah, and so, twenty-four hours of shopping fun. Oh. <laughs> Well, I mean, it was a beautiful drive, and I, I remember it like it was yesterday. But one of my long, long-standing memories is being in Portland, Maine, and I guess there was an area where there's an overlook over a, a river or a lake or something. And I remember being there, and this it's was a, it's a big lake. Actually. Yeah, it's called the Atlantic Ocean. Oh, so okay, so I, <laughs> right, I didn't. I, okay, so the, now that gives me some geographical there you go. context. <clears throat> but I'm standing on this overlook, Steve, and uh, we're in the car, and we turn on the radio. Radio to eleven ten, yeah. and picked it up like I was over in South Park, uh, and I knew. I mean, I knew the old jingle, the Canada to Cuba, all that yeah. stuff, and I understand, or I understood what I'd been told, but I'd never actually gotten to experience it. You know, there are these stories about how Dean Smith used to recruit, uh, you oh, know, yeah. used to use the the, the signal sure here did. to to reach families in other places. I mean, that's old school syndicated radio, right? right. After and the sun sure, goes down, sure is. But yeah. there I am in Portland, Maine, picking up WBT, and so uh, I guess my question for you is before we move on to later points in your career you you mentioned where you started you mentioned banger and i mentioned some things right there what about the other stops between there and wbt if you there if, weren't any i was about to say 1982 no, there would have been so you stayed there till 1982 yeah i stayed there from uh, it was uh, i went to work there in the fall of 71 i was a freshman in college and uh and then I, I left in October of 1982, October 16th, as a matter of fact. And then uh, uh, I came down here to WBT. And I was, I was <laughs> and the thing about it is, it's funny, uh, Paul Ingalls was a sports director at the time. And uh, Paul and I are still very good friends. And uh, Paul had offered the job uh, to a guy, I think his name was Fran Healy. Okay. He played. I read up on him. He played baseball. 
Uh-huh. And got out of baseball in 77, 78, and then uh, uh, got into media. And he's still on the air. He's 78 years old. I'm, I'm, I'm 68. Uh, and he's, uh, but I guess he turned, he turned, he turned WBT down, and I was next on the list. So Paul gave me a call. I came down. I was just in awe of the place. It's, it's a cathedral, basically, in our business. Still is. And uh, uh, much the effort of people like yourself. And Paul offered me the job. It took it in a moment. And uh, boom. The rest is history. The rest is history. <laughs> and, and so, I, you know, I don't have a resume that's very long. You know, it's uh, and I've usually stayed in, in the places I've gone to a long time. Well, it means that uh, you were comfortable where you were, but it means the people that hired you uh, realized they had yeah. a good thing and tried to hang on to it as long as they could. Yeah, I was cheap work. <laughs> <laughs> well, you mentioned Paul Ingalls. I think Paul is going to sit down, at least uh, remotely, because uh, he's in New Mexico, as I understand yes, it. Yes, But Paul and I have become friends on Facebook through my efforts uh, to do, you know, to bring back historical moments to life and you you know as well as I do he's quite the the, the historian himself yes he is he so is. he uh, has always said really great things about you and I think he's going to join me sometime in, in in the near future so I'm looking forward to that yeah cuz he uh, he just sounds like a guy I almost wish that I had had a chance to to work with side by side for a while but um that's the beauty I guess you know there are people out there who will uh, rue the day that social media came into the picture but uh, you know, you can also make the argument that the social media has connected a lot of people, uh, either reconnected them or, you know, connected them where I don't know how else it would have happened. Right. You know, right. and in sometimes the wrong way. However, right. That's right. That's, uh, that's the everybody's an expert now in their own field. So uh, but that's where we were. And of course, Paul was uh, um, Paul is a, an interesting type of individual. He cares deeply about this business. And despite the fact that it's been a while since he's been at WBT, he still probably cares more about WBT than, uh, than a lot of people who have been through here. And he, he, he recalls it as a tremendous time in, in his life mm-hmm. and in his professional career. Uh, as do I. I, I mean, I, I was only here, I was here from 1982 on the air with an active daily role from 1982 to 1990, and then I went full-time uh, with the Hornets and, and stayed in the NBA for 30 years. So, um, like I say, I don't drift around. I was, I was at Bangor for 11, Charlotte for 8 on on commercial radio, and then uh, in Charlotte with, uh, with the Hornets uh, and, and still consider myself uh, an alumni of, uh, of the Hornets now that I've been out for about two or three years. Well, I certainly want to ask you some overarching questions about uh, your time at WBT and and, and what you think about the station as a whole. I'll save that for a little bit later, but you you bring up Paul Ingalls, and like I said, I've gotten to know him uh, a little bit, and one of the things we always come back to is that the period of time that he was here and when you were solely at WBT, pre-Hornets, that's a period of time that doesn't get talked about as much when you're talking about historical retrospectives. Uh, I, I consider myself a historian of this place, but that's probably one of the eras that I know the least about. And I really break it down to what this station was like uh, between when Bob Lacey left yeah. and when Mike Collins and then Russell and Flynn 
uh, got you know started their runs in in the later part of the '80s. So 1980 to 1985, 86ish is an area I think uh, I, I want to delve into a little bit because I don't think that much in modern times is is known about it. it doesn't get talked about, but there were some incredible people here, uh, namely the guy sitting in front of me, which is why I wanted to do this. But uh, so. Paul Engels talks about uh, hiring you, or, or, or yeah. g- you talk about that phone call. What was the state of WBT? Who was here? What was it like when you arrived? Uh, it was in a state of flux, really. It was a state of transition. Yeah. Uh, it, it, you know, uh, from going way back to Ty Boyd and all of that, mm-hmm. uh, it's almost as if, and radio is in a state of transition. We're, we're transitioning from less entertainment into more News, political talk, right? You know, sports. Uh, there's a lot of differentiation in in formats now in radio that there weren't back in the '60s and '70s. And then, and then uh, I, I think so. Like the business itself, I think this great station was in a transition. Uh, it had, uh, I think it was uh, Spike O'Dell was was in here in the mm-hmm. morning, and then he had left, and. They paired James Kay and, and Don Russell together for a while uh, before settling on to Mike Collins. And, uh, but I can remember coming into that atmosphere and the people that worked here, not only on the air but, but uh, off the air. It was a great community, a great family. Everybody considered themselves a part of the family. And everybody considered and, and you knew everybody had an equal role to play. So um, I think WBT brings that to this business always has and probably always will. So when you got here, you mentioned Paul. Mm-hmm. Now, your original role, what, what what shift? Did you work mornings or what was the assignment? I was, Paul was the morning sports guy and I was going to be the afternoon sports guy. They didn't want to, it would be the first time that they had somebody working kind of both drive time shifts. And, um, and then the station was interested in moving into uh, what their early evening programming was going to look like. And at the time, they thought they might, well, maybe maybe sports is something that we should probably introduce into it, not for an extended amount of time, but at least for a while, have a an afternoon person who has sort of a presence, not as much as the morning sports person would have right. with the morning man, but it, 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 would, be a, it would be a presence. Um, that extended beyond a sportscast or something like that. And, and, and he had to kind of be part of the team. And then we'll make the transition into, because for a long time, uh, you know, WBT was the home of the Tar Heels. And as you mentioned earlier, of course, Coach Smith considered this station as a big recruiting tool. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, uh, the one thing that, I, that bothers me, people think they think that this is a bygone medium. It couldn't be farther from the truth. People every day, one of the first things they do is turn the radio on when they get in their car, and they listen. And they listen for extended amounts of time, whether they want to or not, because they're stuck in traffic. But that's the case. I mean, you're building up quarter hours along the way, and next thing you know, you know, Bo Thompson's a friend of his. Why? <laughs> well, because he said this this morning. Did he say it to you? No, he said it on the radio. All right, good. <laughs> Bye. Well, and if I'm doing my job right, then it sounded like it was a personal connection, right? I mean, yeah. that's the whole point. Oh, yeah, that's that's the whole thing. You talk naturally, and and, right. and, and a lot of times people listen to you because they're envious, because they can't do it like you do. It's, I wish I could talk like that. I wish I could. 
express my viewpoints. See, that was me as a kid listening to Steve Martin. (laughs) That's what I want to do. (laughs) Yeah, I I just, you know, you just, if you like talking and uh, you can't love hearing yourself, you just hope you're saying the right things. But you you, you just want to, you know, you just want to react like a a normal person would react and, and feel, I think, you connect with the audience better that way. Uh, that's that's the personal approach, and I think that's something that WBT has always taken and the people that it's brought to its listeners. Other names from that era? Uh, other people? Uh, I know you don't want to – we don't have time to mention everybody, but there have to be uh, some names. I mean, I know, for example, Henry Bogan was here then. Oh, yeah. Oh, Henry was, uh, uh, Henry was a, a treasure, uh, a, a man who always greeted you with a smile. Usually it's a – uh, a bellowing laugh. He was a great guy. I remember when Tony Renault was here as uh, the general manager, he took Henry and I to a Redskins game. <laughs> and, and half the fun was the trip up. Oh, I mean, I'm sure. We drove. I'm sure. No, no, no airplanes for us. And uh, it, it was a great time. Henry was a uh, – and one of the beauties of what happened here at WBT is that we, we started the talk show, sports talk show, for an hour a week. And then it grew to an hour a day, five days a week. And was this the sports huddle? The, yes, the WBT okay. sports huddle. That's what uh, Paul Engel started, and that's and and that's what we we moved under. And uh, it, it was a lot of fun. I mean, it was it was. I, I never thought I would get into talk radio, as mm-hmm. it were. I was kind of scared of it, to tell you the truth. I said, okay, let's take a quick shot here, boom, introduce a record. That's that's right. what I grew up in. Uh, so being able to sustain an hour and a half of talk is uh, like, oh, boy, you're asking – you're asking a lot from this little guy. So now, in the beginning, uh, was it was it just you, or did Paul do some? Or when you did the sports huddle, was it uh, a team effort, or was this all the Steve show? Team, uh, it was a team effort at first. Paul just wanted to make sure that I got going all right. Gotcha. And he, what he wanted to do, uh, and I think really, Paul was kind of one of those soul of the station guys. Mm-hmm. You know, you just didn't count on Paul to come in here and do the sports and then disappear. He was part of whatever was going on in the morning and could interact with anybody, whether it be, you know, Scott White in the newsroom or whoever was on the air at the time. Uh, he was a valuable part of that show, and he wanted to be a part of that fabric. So he made sure that I got rolling, and then he just kind of left me to my devices, and then and then he moved on from the station to other endeavors. And of course, he's still in the communications business and what he does in New Mexico. It doesn't sound any different. I think shortly after I retired, I went. Uh, he brought me to New Mexico to do a uh, kind of a feature, and 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 he submitted it for some reward uh, awards. And uh, there was me and another broadcaster who'd worked here before me, and we kind of traded off stuff. He would do the actual voiceover for the events that we covered, and then I, Paul, and I would anchor it. And uh, that was a that was a blast. I never, I never thought that. Uh, <laughs> I never thought that 10 sweating 70-year-olds out playing <laughs> basketball could uh, create a great feature. But uh, believe it or not, uh, Paul did. Well, we lost Henry uh, in 2006. Uh, yeah. I, I feel lucky that uh, when I was first coming into the business, I, 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 I my first job was to 
call screen for him. So yeah. I got to know Henry and, uh, you know, people <laughs> So like, you bore the brunt of Henry. <laughs> well, I just, I remember Henry, uh, when I was, this when I was in high school, I think. Yeah. I would come in. Oh, sure. And I mean, look, everybody knows Henry was, uh, you know, uh, a big guy. Yeah. Uh, physically. And I remember I would come into the station and I'd have McDonald's that I'd picked up along the way. And he'd, Bo, don't you know that stuff's terrible for you? And <laughs> yeah. I, I sort of bit my tongue thinking, well, yeah, I think you probably know from experience, yeah, Henry. Yeah, exactly. How'd those. you get that way? <laughs> yeah. No, so H.A. was around here when you? Yeah, H.A. was here. Uh, there was uh, the morning show, like I say, was in flux. And they put uh, Don Russell together with James K. Flynn. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were the morning show when I, when, I, when I came here. And then James K. eventually went into production. production. A tremendous, I mean, he is. A tremendous mind in that area, very creative. And Don, uh, I think Don moved on into the afternoon. Yes, he did. He moved on into the afternoon when Mike Collins took over in the morning. And right. my, most of my interaction took place with Mike Collins. And uh, a little bit through Pete Sullivan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then and then I left and went uh, with the Hornets full time. So. So Mike obviously is still uh, very much oh, a sure. part of Charlotte yeah. and has gone on to do big things after he left here. Uh, now, uh, so I remember Russell and Flynn. Yep. Now, uh, but I remember Russell and Flynn towards the end of the eighties. Were they also on early in the game? Yes, they were. Okay, they so were I didn't on, know that they were on in eighty two. When I, when I got here in eighty two, they they were the morning combination. Okay. Uh, and and kind of like it's like those are the guys they always do, and when things either didn't go as planned. Okay, let's bring these guys in and let's start over. You know, <laughs> and that would be a good place to go because they're both very talented people, and they they matched each other. I thought uh, uh, Don and 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 James K matched each other very well because one was creative. Uh, they were both personable. One was creative and one was humorous, uh, but both understood the roles that they played in this business, and that is to keep. To keep the show going, make sure the listener got what he needed. He, he needs he needs to know, you know, as strangely as it seems. Yes, he does need to know what time it is. Yes, he does need to know what the weather's going to do. What the new what's what's the biggest story of the day? What can I what can I talk to somebody else and sound knowledgeable? I get that from you, you know. So right, yeah, you know that. So um, you know the the dependence. And that's why I say this is not a business that is waning. This is a business that will always be strong because there are people out there, even in this heavily girded information age that we seem to be sitting in, they got to go somewhere for their information to sound as knowledgeable as they think they are. Well, we are obviously uh, headed towards... 1988, eventually in this conversation, and a huge part of your life, the Charlotte Hornets. Right. But I I do, uh, for a few more minutes here, want to stay in the WBT-only era for you. Because, uh, like I said, that that stretch, the the 80s on this station, I mentioned a lot of names there, um, and you were doing the sports huddle at night. And Mm -hmm. did did you bring in... uh, So Paul, I know, eventually left. Paul uh, went and worked for uh, WGSP, that station he started uh, here in town, uh, which didn't last long, but I mean, there you can go Google it because I, I've through him and through things that have been written up. I mean, that seemed like uh, you know he was out there trying to do his own thing away yeah. from BT for a few yeah. years. But so Paul eventually leaves, and then do you become sports director? I became uh, sports director, and uh, and there were things going on here at the station. Uh, you know, that was when 
Cully Tarleton moved over into television and mm-hmm. then eventually, you know, and, and moved on to retirement. And then uh, Bill Jennings was here uh, as the general manager. Uh, then John Kilgo had a run, and uh, and I and, and uh, he succeed. He eventually succeeded Tony Renault, and I moved in. You know, I stayed here. Uh, Tony went on to uh, ABC, I believe, in Los Angeles, and um, uh, John was great to work for, uh, and he he is he is really a very. A, a smart individual. I mean, John. John's aware. John's not only well versed in sports; he's well versed in this market and what's going on in news. Mm-hmm. Knows all the political players everywhere, and uh, it, w- it was great. You could you just wanted to carry on a conversation with John, and you could go on forever. So the years at WBT pre Hornets, uh, when when BT was your main thing, uh-huh. sports director, uh, happy uh, years that you look back on. Yeah, they were. They they almost it almost kind of ended though. Um, I'd been here. I got here in '82, and as things worked on, um, people got to know what I could do. I got to know what I could get away with. Right. And uh, when Paul left and, and and went across town, I moved into the morning. And uh, and then uh, a television opportunity here at uh, Channel 3 opened up. They needed somebody. To, uh, there was uh, Laurie Ogilvie uh-huh. and the late Jim Patterson in the right. morning newscast. And they wanted to have a sports guy in there. And then maybe maybe a little personality work. Not not much because I couldn't spend much time because I had to be over here on, on the radio side. And so uh, got that job and then... Uh, so that really fleshed things out for me, and 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 and, and then uh, the 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 tragedy that the the entire company suffered when uh, uh, Jim was killed in an auto accident, and there was a lot of uncertainty as to what was going to go on, especially on on BTV, and they decided that they'd take a rest, you know, they'd take a break from. Let's get out of the news market a little bit and get our heads together and what we're going to do next because Jim was. I mean, he signed the station on. Mm-hmm. So um, that happened, and then and that was kind of it was a dark time for all of us. For me, this is like 1984, and I'm going, ooh, uh, what am I going to do now? And um, I was, I had my hand on the phone, and I'm going to call my old station in in, in Maine hmm. back, and I'm going to say, you know something, things aren't necessarily working out the way I wanted it. I've I've I've, I've seen what. Big time radio is going to be. I guess it's time to come back home. Uh, I never met, dialed the number. The phone rang. It's Tony Renault. He said, "I've talked to Mike Collins. He tells me what your situation is. I want to." I, I said, "I know how you feel. If you give me a week until I get down there here from Washington, and we'll talk, I'll tell you what the vision is. I want to tell you the role I have for you and see if you agree with it. And just hear me out." I said, "Okay." A week later, we have the meeting, and Tony lays out the vision for what the radio station's going to be. There are rumblings that there's going to be a professional sports franchise here in Charlotte. It looks like George Shin is just starting his effort. And, you know, everybody, if you're coming into a market like Charlotte and you want to do something that has something with communications, you better visit this building first or make sure you know somebody who's here at uh, 1 Julian Price Place. Because that's where it likely starts, and probably, if you know anything about yourself, it's going to it's going to end here, uh, and it's going to be the best decision that you make. 
There's the station promo. But <laughs> but I, I honestly believe that. This station has a, a strong voice in the market. Uh, it, it is a bellwether for the market, and so it people have to pay attention to it, even those who don't want to. And uh, it's that important a station. And so um, he, he laid out the vision for... Uh, WBT and its involvement with the NBA and what he planned to do and how he planned to orchestrate it. Uh, he got everybody on board all the way up to Jim Babb to buy into it. Uh, and one of the things I remember distinctly is that we're meeting with the administration for the Hornets. Cy Bayhackle uh, was over at, uh, uh, over CCB. at CCB. He yeah. owned that and he, he had gotten the uh, radio and television rights, basically, and and so we were to negotiate from them. And uh, Tony Renault, I went in with Tony Renault and Jim Babb, and I didn't say much, obviously, <laughs> but Jim Babb got up there, and if there is a bigger champion for this station, I don't know of one, and uh, he gave a presentation that uh, it just about. It, it brought tears to my eyes. I'm going, get me on the air. I got to go back on the air. What was that? I was thinking about Maine again. Yeah, I, <laughs> Maine, yeah, northeast corner of the country. Oh. So I, I just, uh, uh, you know, there are so many impressive people who have worked here and still work here uh, that it's uh, it's easy to come back. Well, so you, you've led us down the road to the beginnings of the Hornets. Uh-huh. And I, I should uh, stop for a second and ask you the question. Uh, paint the picture of what the Charlotte sports scene was like pre-Hornets. Because you, you made a reference a few minutes ago to uh, going to see a Redskins game with Henry Bogan. Yeah. Now, a lot of people don't realize that well before not only the Hornets, but well before the Panthers, right. uh, this radio station was Washington Redskins country. Oh, sure. And uh, really, uh, you know, the Charlotte market was like uh, Washington, D.C. South. Yes, exactly. It, it, it was very much so. Matter of fact, I, 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 um, it's just an incidental thing that happened uh, it was in the. Uh, we were in. We were after basketball season. Uh, I forget the exact year, but when I mention it, I think you'll be able to tell what time of year and how big ACC basketball was. Uh, one morning, we got a uh, uh, bulletin over the newswire that Len Bias had died. Hmm. Uh, uh, basketball star uh, who was a tremendous ACC player, and in this in in this time, and I think this is 1984-85, um, the ACC was huge. It's still big, but back then it was just it was just eight schools, and they had just allowed Florida State to come in, uh, and it was it was everything was the ACC tournament. I remember being here my first year here. Uh, it was 1983 in, in, in the spring of that year. And ACC tournament Friday. And I'm, I started work in the... I would come in around 1 o'clock in the afternoon for the afternoon shift and in the early evening. And back in, back in these days, the Friday was day one. Day one. There were eight teams, and that right. was day one. That was it, day one. And usually number one got on the floor at about 12 noon. Mm-hmm. And that usually, in the 80s, uh, well, this is before the rise of Duke. It was North Carolina. Right. So you could, you could go uptown 
and not see a car <laughs> or a person walking the street at noontime, which is right now, if you want to go, hey, gee, I'm lonely. I want to see people. You know, you go uptown Charlotte noontime and you'll see more than your share. Exactly. But back in 1982 or 83, you aren't going to see anybody on the, uh, you know, the second weekend in March uh, because that was ACC tournament time. And this town was... It wasn't Carolina Blue. It was everybody, Duke, North Carolina State, Wake Forest, North Carolina. Everybody had a favorite. That was the beauty about coming here from Maine is to see all this stuff happening. And uh, it it was just amazing. So that's why, alluding back to the Len Bias moment, this Mm -hmm. was a young man who was playing at the University of Maryland. He was going to be an NBA star, can't miss. And we turned the radio station over. Uh, here at WBT for at least an hour, devoted it to Len Bias, his death, what happened, what he meant, uh, and and you get into and you you got an idea and say, man, we're in the middle of the morning and we're talking we're talking ACC basketball on a fifty thousand watt blowtorch. What is wrong with this picture? <laughs> I mean, it's 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 amazing of all the things that could be happening in the world. That tells you. What it was like, this was ACC country in the late 70s and in the early 80s, uh, probably the zenith of, it was the premier uh, basketball conference in the nation. Now, when you say you were on the air uh, talking about it for an hour at least, uh-huh. was that local WBT-produced coverage? Yes. Or? Okay. Yes. It, uh, Mike Collins was on the air. And, and you know, <laughs> Mike is a great broadcaster. He's not a big sports fan. <laughs> this you know? I know, yes. But he, he felt, and, and that gives you an idea, he felt that it was important enough to say, hey, this isn't an ordinary day. So he's on anchoring, essentially, and yeah. he's, he's leaning heavily on you. Yeah, exactly. And who yeah. else did you have on? Do you remember? Um, I, I can't, uh, you know, with just the usual traffic and new, right. Scott White in the news department. And, but it's uh, an all-hands-on-deck kind of day? Like pretty if, much. If you're here, that's the story you're working on. That's the story. We, yeah. we started probably around, uh, the, the news broke probably around maybe about 8.20 in the morning. Mm-hmm. And we stayed after it for a good hour, maybe a little more than an hour. You know, and people could say nowadays... Well, that kid didn't, was it a North Carolina, you know, if that was a Tar Heel, maybe. This is a kid from the University of Maryland. and uh, But he was that big in the ACC. Everybody in the ACC, the thing about it is, is that, you know, some guys say, well, yeah, I know all the starters of the uh, New York Yankees. Well, everybody in this market knows the starter of every ACC school back then in basketball. You know, you, you could tell who was doing what and where. And, of course, this is at a time, Bob, where guys weren't leaving after their freshman year to go play NBA basketball. They were staying for a full—this is this is what— College basketball at its zenith. Well, and if you want to extrapolate it out to the the national interest part of this story, uh, he was drafted by the Boston Celtics yeah. and was supposed to be the guy to to continue on the Larry Bird era. Oh yeah, right. Can you imagine Larry Bird and Len Bias yeah. in the same court. That's that's amazing. Well, so that's um, I remember that story. I I uh, now I asked the question, and, and that's great. Uh, that's exactly what I wanted to sort of paint the picture of what. What qualified as big sports in Charlotte or big interest in sports in Charlotte before the Hornets? And there's one story, and there's one uh, you know umbrella, the ACC. Um, but 
you mentioned the Washington Redskins, uh, who were the, really the NFL presence in this market before yeah. the Panthers. Yeah. Um, I know that uh, Paul Engels has talked about uh, the days of, to a much smaller degree, what you had. You had professional soccer here, the Carolina yes, Lightning. And, he, and, and that kind of came and went before I got here. The Lightning had uh, a couple of great seasons. They had Rodney Marsh, and they, and, uh, I mean, they had a big name. I was amazed when I read of the success. Uh, of, of the of the lightning and, and what they had and, and and unfortunately it disappeared so quickly and as popular as soccer is internationally now and especially now here in the United States I was looking at the soccer standings the other day they got about thirty teams playing professional soccer and they have only two divisions yeah you know <laughs> yeah, you know God help you if you if you're in the middle of the pack you're in eighth place you know yeah so uh, now you you care you called uh, some Davidson basketball yes didn't I you? did I did I, I called. Davidson basketball for four years here. And Wolf now to put it in play. Goes to Dawson. 17 seconds left. Crossword pass now comes to Hawthorne. Down the baseline. A shot no good. Rebound. Knocked to the baseline to Foster. He puts it up no good again. Gets his own board up and in with seven seconds left. 53-52. South Carolina can't call time. Three seconds, two seconds, one second. Ball game is over. Davidson upset South Carolina. 53-52. Paul and I worked the games, and uh, that's that's how it started. It didn't end that way. Of course, Paul moved on. But, but uh, Paul set the standard, and he always, I mean, we were always miking somebody. Bobby Hussey felt comfortable that he could play with his team. He knew what his team had to do. He communicated it to them brilliantly. They executed it so well. They had a lot of luck along the way, which you need to pull off a win like this over a South Carolina team, and they walk away with a 53-52 win tonight. And we'll be back to recap it tonight as our Davidson basketball continues on WBT. We're sitting there, doing, you know, we're doing halftime and say, hey, let's hear what uh, Coach Valancourt is saying, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Coach Valancourt is in the bathroom, <laughs> and he's standing over the urinal, and we're hearing the results. You know? <laughs> well, and, and Valancourt, there's a name we'll get to a little bit later yeah. who found his way back through here. Uh, and, and, and when he says his days at Davidson as a as a coach there, and this is what he's talking about, right? That's the oh, yeah. So, um, um, but Davidson, at that time, you have to understand, Davidson um, was on a national scale. Right. Uh, matter of fact, I can remember when I was growing up, and I was very early on in high school, and I'd see Sports Illustrated, and I would see they'd have a front-page article, this guy from North Carolina, this guy from uh, NC State, this guy from Duke, and then there's this guy from Davidson. You know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Davidson in ACC school? When did that happen? Why did I know about it? But they're not, obviously. But they, they, they recruit nationally and did. And then, of course, went through a period after that where they kind of, you know, moved into a lower rung so much. And then, and then Steph Curry and shows Steph up. Steph Curry. And boom. Uh, so, but Davidson is, was a very important part. And, and the thing about it is that, is that Paul did a lot of things to make it. The last thing he wanted it to make it sound like was a normal broadcast. Mm-hmm. There was no normal as far as Paul was concerned. It, there's always something we could do to dress the, the, the broadcast up. And so, and there were things that I had never done before. Well, and there was a standard for this radio station, whether it be sports or whether it be anything. The yes. presentation, yep. uh, it was important to Paul. I can tell you it's important to me all these years later. And Mike Collins uh, taught me a lot about the, the production standard of yes. a station like yes. WBT. Oh, yeah. Mike was Mike was a stickler for that and was very good at it. And uh, he'd get a little frustrated if you didn't, you know, <laughs> toe the line, so to speak. But uh, 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 Mike, Mike I, I, had, I had a lot of personal growth, I thought. 
under Mike's tutelage in the morning. Well, and, 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 and I that can helped tell you, me move on to the to the NBA. I can tell you that I did too. Uh, he, I interned for him, so he was my the first person I interacted with here, and the first time I ever made a, made a station promo because I was interested in production too mm-hmm. in later yeah. years. First time I ever made a station promo, he walked past the studio and he heard it. Yeah, and he cracks this when I was in college, but he cracks the door, and of course. You know, Steve, I mean, his opinion meant more than anybody's sure. to me at that point in yeah. time. And he, he opens the door, and he it was a real simple, I think it was even a Christmas-type promo. And he, yeah. I had used the station jingle in it, and he looked, and he went, that was in the right key. <laughs> and then he turned around and left. <laughs> I said, that's basically like Mike Collins saying, that was fantastic. That was so fantastic. I'll yeah. take what I can get. Exactly. I remember listening uh, for uh, putting one of the anniversaries together, going through a, a lot of the old station jingles. Yeah. And there was a, a package that the station used in the early 80s, and it said, WBT sounds like Charlotte. Yeah. WBT sounds like Charlotte Sports. And then there were a series of sports promos or sports sings of that. And NBC, it would say WBT, and they'd sing and the Tar Heels. Yes. WBT and the Tar Heels. And we've mentioned uh, the Lightning even. Yep. WBT and the Lightning. And there was one for the Wildcats. WBT and the Wildcats. And there was one for the 49ers. Yeah. WBT and the 49ers. And I say UNCC because that's what they called themselves then. Now yeah. they get, you know, you guys say Charlotte 49ers now. But in the in the early 80s, the, the 49ers figured into your coverage. Yes, they did. And uh, the biggest game on Davidson's schedule would be uh, against Charlotte. It would, it, they were, And they were both competing for the same audience. They said, okay, the ACC's got these people. Right. And those who have fallen off that bandwagon or never got on or maybe are new to the market, maybe they might be interested in what we've got to offer. Uh, and, of course, Charlotte in particular went through a grand growth. The University UNCC went through a great growth. Uh, they're one of the, you know, when you look at the student population of all of the major universities, I'm always struck by, you know, you look at Charlotte, they're like North Carolina State, North Carolina, and then there's Charlotte moving right up there. So it's a major university, not only in sports, but of course with the education uh, that it offers. And uh, my daughter, as a matter of fact, she started at Virginia Tech and she finished the last four years in Charlotte. So, uh, she enjoyed it immensely. So you started down the road of the negotiations and the beginnings of the Charlotte Hornets franchise. Right. Yep. We've sort of set up what the Charlotte sports scene, both for just the city and, and how it related to the radio station, how it looked pre-Hornets. Um, and I was talking to Rick Jackson a few weeks ago, and he was describing the meetings, uh, you know, being in Chicago the day in 1993 where it was announced that Jacksonville and, and Carolina or Charlotte got the NFL franchises. Right. But So you, you've sort of set the, the stage of who you were with and who was part of those negotiations but uh, and and that obviously was pivotal to you staying here yeah uh, the idea of what WBT might do if an NBA franchise came to town when did you learn that Charlotte got a team uh, we had sent uh, we sent a group of people reporters and whatnot up uh, to New York for the the league meetings. Actually, we went we started our coverage really when the NBA started first prospecting for cities. And uh, I can remember going to Phoenix and all of the contending cities were going to make presentations to a group of NBA owners and Commissioner Stern at the time. 
to impress upon them the merits of each market. And uh, out of that meeting, uh, surprisingly enough, Charlotte came out ahead and maintained that unofficial edge. Now, this is back in 1986 when all of this was first being fostered. You mean they were the front runner? They became the front runner. So right. there were four cities in particular that made the first cut. Right. You know, and that would be uh, Charlotte, Minneapolis, uh, Orlando, and Miami. And uh, as it turned out, uh, Charlotte was the first. They just said, okay, this is the, this is the layup. Here are the perimeter shots. <laughs> uh, and the second one was Miami. Charlotte and Miami came in together, and then Orlando and, and Minneapolis came in together, uh, or Minnesota, as it right. were. Um, so uh, the presentation started in 1986. Uh, we emerged then more than just a pit stop, so to speak, and started to grow, and eventually uh, in 1987, I think it was March uh 31st, I believe, in 1987, the franchise was granted. We investigated very carefully the level of enthusiasm and found that everybody sincerely wanted the franchise. You are building a wonderful arena, and to be quite candid, we could find no negatives. Charlotte uh, came up well on all accounts. I'm pleased to announce that the Board of Governors of the National Basketball Association has decided that it will expand. The first two teams will be Charlotte, North Carolina, and Miami. And that was the surprise of all. They announced Charlotte before anybody else. And uh, this city was agog, but you know there was a big worry because we're in the middle of ACC basketball. I mean, Jim Valvano has blown new life into NC State. Dean Smith's continuing his legacy at North Carolina. Uh, you've got uh, immense talent coming into the area from college basketball. How can NBA basketball emerge in the middle of ACC country where, you know... But I think it was portrayed properly in this market, and I think the NBA helped a great deal. So you know the stars that you grew fond of following your own school, you know, they do have a career after they leave Chapel Hill, Raleigh, Durham, Winston-Salem... Uh, you know, and and everywhere else, uh, it's in the NBA, and you can still follow them, and they still have, and many of them enjoy great careers, and I think that was important in the NBA's initial success in in Charlotte. I mean, there's a reason why we got twenty four thousand people wearing tuxedos on opening night mm-hmm. in, in 1988. So it's one thing for the city to get the franchise. Right. But just because the city got the franchise didn't necessarily mean WBT was going to be the flagship station. Or, or was it? A, or was that just a, a no-brainer and it happened very easily? Uh, how, how about that process? Well, I mean, I'm biased here, but there's a lot of no-brainers about, you know, the relationship between WBT and Charlotte. If you think about radio in this market, who do you think of first? And And... Basically, you think of this station. So that's the standard you've got to compare all else to. Uh, Most of the stations in this market were, at the time, owned by media groups who, and it still is the case for the most part, that may have other stations on both sides of the dial, the AM and FM dial. Right. Uh, But here, as far as this station is concerned, uh, this company was concerned at the time, WBT only really didn't have it. They had they had BCY and they had this, 
And uh, that was it. Not too many things to scatter their interest in. They knew what their brand was, and they knew how to serve it well. And they, they found two niches. Uh, they found a music-oriented station that had a great personality-driven morning show. Uh, and then, of course, they had the news and information and music leader at the time for contemporary you know, contemporary adults in this station, in WBT. Right. So, you know, they had a corner that everybody was envious of in this market. People tried to segment it, you know, tried to tear it apart in segments, but uh, they really couldn't achieve the type of success that WBT was. So I think for that reason alone, we entered the race to become the Hornet station because of who we were. WBT's Russell and Flynn warm up the Hornets' Kurt Rambis. This will be a piece of cake. <laughs> you know it. <laughs> Hear the Hornets with WBT's Steve Martin, newsman John Stokes, Jeff Pilot's Airborne Traffic, and WBT hey. AccuWeather. Oh, uh, how's the weather up there, big guy? Foul. Oh, what foul? Foul, Joe. The Hornets. Okay, that's one free throw for the personal foul. I didn't mean it personally. What? With Russell and Flynn on WBT Radio. Man's a basket case. And so when uh, the prospect of the Hornets coming here, uh, what I hear you saying is you knew if they got here where they'd end up. Yes. It just seemed like a no-brainer. Yeah, now, NBA schedule, a lot different than the ACC schedule. I mean, you were talking about uh, basketball games, you know, sometimes on successive nights and four or five times a week. Yep. And you had Henry Bogan, who was on at night and very established and successful. So that had to be an interesting bit of musical chairs. Yeah, I, I, probably the only time I incurred Henry's ire was <laughs> when, when the NBA kind of started up. And he saw what it would mean. He saw that... Uh, at least twice a week and sometimes three times a week his show would be interrupted and uh he was worried and 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 it was well founded that uh, oh you're chasing my audience away when i get after the game nobody cares you know about me you know so on and so forth i mean I, and in our first season when we lost so many games they didn't care about us either really, <laughs> tell you the truth but he, he was a big part of the station uh, when he started from, where was it, 1978? Uh, uh, 79, 79, yeah. 79, all the way through. He probably, from a radio standpoint, survived an NBA basketball franchise better than anybody else. Well, and I, I do remember uh, the early days of the team. And obviously, Henry stayed here till uh, 1996. Yeah. So Henry did fine uh, uh, amidst all of the success of the Hornets. But, you know, Henry was a sports fan, so that yes. helped. Oh, yes. And I know he used to do, uh, you know, for a while he would do sports updates during the halftime show. <laughs> and the Hornets swarming up on the basket to our left. So let's throw it back one more time to our buddy Henry Bogan. And a reminder, Gary, and ladies and gentlemen, turn that clock back one hour at bedtime is back to standard time. Check those batteries and the smoke alarm. Stay with us another half of the best basketball in the world. This is the Charlotte Hornets Radio Network. And then I know he he would, uh, towards the end, he would actually come on in the afternoons on days when there were Hornets games. But uh, you, probably better than anybody else, can talk about what it was like when that franchise hit this city. Oh, boy. Unbelievable. Uh, it was it was something. I think a lot, a lot of people bought into the NBA more than I thought they would. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe the region as a whole didn't, but the city did. The city, this city needed something because Greensboro had the ACC tournament, and there's got to be something that's unique to Charlotte. And we consider ourselves a city that is growing leaps and bounds. We need to call ourselves a big city. 
Uh, and a professional sports franchise on a long-standing basis is going to do that. And uh, there's no better – and at the time, the NBA had gone through a rough period of late late 70s. You know, I mean, when, when network television puts your championship series on at 1130 at night, you know you're in trouble. And uh, that was one of David Stern's big things is make the NBA – a topic again. And when Make you say 11.30 at night, that means they taped it late and played it exactly. back later. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you got Bosch, Washington and Boston playing, and we're going to see it at 11.30 tonight. <laughs> what? Why would they stay up that late? Well, you know. because they couldn't check their phones for the score. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. exactly. So it, was, uh, it, it, uh, it took the market over by storm. This was something that was uniquely Charlotte. We didn't have to, we didn't have to share it with Chapel Hill or Raleigh, or especially Raleigh. Greensboro and, and everything else. This is our own. You've got to come see us. See how and and I think from Charlotte's standpoint, it, it allowed Charlotte to show off what happens here. Banking happens here, and banking happens in a way that not many cities get to see it happen. Uh, you saw NCMB grow into what it is now, and 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 uh, and, and Hugh McCall's role in that. Uh, this city was able to tell its story, and people had to listen. Is it safe to say that uh, the NBA made a splash, which you expected, but it was uh, way bigger than you ever thought? Uh, certainly. It's not a complete surprise because of the basketball knowledge of this market and how it prevailed in the ACC region. The ACC footprint at the time was basically, you know, it was Washington to Atlanta, you know, and... and uh, uh, so that region of the, you know, I mean, there were always legendary stories written. I mean, Sports Illustrated wouldn't go a week without talking about what mm-hmm. happened in the ACC and so on and so forth. So if you were watching from the outside, you would say, man, this is a unique area of the country. And it certainly was. It was bigger. And when I came here in, in 1982, I realized that, yeah, sure, this is Redskins country. But it's only by rote. They haven't brought in a competitor on a professional level, uh, the Redskins and everybody else who tried to come here certainly had a, a, a rival in the ACC. And the basketball, college basketball, owned this market. And uh, it, was, it, was, it was great. And the other thing that was significant in this market that you don't experience many places, and you probably will never experience it again, is the growth of NASCAR. And... I never listened to a NASCAR race until I got here. And my my wife said, you're crazy. Sunday afternoons are meant for having fun, not sit there and listen to a car race, you know, from 2 to 5 in the afternoon, you know. But it it took me by storm, really, along with ACC basketball. I I was fascinated by by NASCAR and the personalities that they've driven. Uh, When I came here... uh, the two guys that were driving, Bobby Allison and Daryl Waltrip, were huge rivals. And Daryl Waltrip was kind of like the brash new guy. Bobby Allison was the established guy. You know, you would say, okay, there's Yarbrough and there's Allison and, and Petty and so on and so forth. And then there's this guy, Waltrip, out of Tennessee. You know, well, that's his deal. So that was going on. So you had those two dynamics I'd never been firsthand exposed to ACC basketball, and I'd never been firsthand exposed to NASCAR. And those were two big things in this market. Now, college football has kind of moved up on the list, and 
and nudge NASCAR aside to a degree. But those were the two big sports. And then, of course, the Panthers coming in five years after we did, that created a whole new stir. The Washington who? Yeah. I'm the Carolina Panthers, you know, so... Uh, well, and you and I both know the Carolina Panthers would never be here if not for the Charlotte Hornets first. Yes. The Hornets had to set the table, and I was not working in radio yet at this point, but I was living in Charlotte. I was growing up, and, uh, you know, Charlotte Hornets games were events. I yes. mean, the game was there, but everything around it, if you wanted to be seen or, or you see or be seen, you go to the Charlotte, the 23,000-plus mm-hmm. seat arena. Um I'm wondering if you agree with this. I think uh, I'm pretty sure you will. But um, I've said this to people on many occasions, having been here all my life. You know, the NFL is the behemoth and sports other than NBA basketball have grown up around Charlotte. But there will never be a debut like the Charlotte Hornets were in 1988 (laughs) because there can't be. The the conditions the way they were then uh, will never be that way again. No, they they won't. Uh, And everybody bought into it the business community they re- everybody realized how important this was you, you, all right charlotte you beat your drum for so many years professional sports should be here we should move the university of north carolina here it's your you're we're the you're the biggest city now prove it and they have i think i think uh, if anything the 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 hornets and the panthers have taken this city and we used to be compared with Raleigh and Greensboro, not, no, no longer. Raleigh may be still compared with Greensboro, but we're not part of that any, anymore. Right. We're, we're, oh, well, they're Charlotte. Why aren't they the state capital? <laughs> <laughs> but it, but it's this city has en- there's enough growth in this city. People who come in from other NBA slash NFL markets uh, and say, well, this is how we do it in Cleveland. This is what happens in Los Angeles. This is, you know. Uh, and this can happen here, and it has. So how important was it to you to be the original voice of the Charlotte Hornets on the radio and on this station? So important that I've never given a single thought to what would have happened had we not gotten the Hornets. Wow. Uh, that's that's how important. I, I, nobody's ever, and nobody's ever dared ask the question, what would you do if uh, the Hornets didn't come? I'm, you're the first one who's asked that, really, kind of inferred at it, but uh, I, I have no clue. Well, and I'm asking that... Uh, I probably would have gone back to me. But I actually, my, I was kind of coming at it from a different direction. In other words, uh, you're here. You've decided you want to be uh, part of this radio station uh, with the arrival of this team. But when we knew we got the team, did you say, I got to be that guy who's going to be the first person to, to be the play-by-play man? Well, uh, it was in my mind because Tony Renault at the time put it in my mind. That's, yeah. the, that's, the, that's the big fruit that was on the table for me to grab. Uh, he said, look, give me a chance. Big things are going to happen in this market. He was aware what George Shin was trying to do and what everybody was trying to put together. Uh, and he felt, rightly, that this station should have a role in it. And that would be an important step for this. You don't want to be on the outside looking in. And, of course... Tony was one of the hugest, and probably still is, Redskins fans in the world. He treats, you know, RFK Stadium was like a cathedral to him. He took mm-hmm. Henry and I in there and said, oh, look at this. I don't know. You know we, <laughs> we were sat in a box, and it was great. But he kind of imprinted that in my mind that 
that sport has no place else to go but this station, and you are the guy who's going to be here, and you're going you're gonna to do it. And uh, I don't know why he thought that, but I'm sure glad he did. Oh, I think we all know why he thought that. Green down low to Hoppin. Left side baseline to Reed. Six on the shot clock. He'll fire. No good. Rebound Doherty. But it's taken by Trapuca. Head fix goes up. It's good. There's your first basket. Scored by Charlotte Hornet. History's been made. So Steve Martin, November of 1988, that mm-hmm. opening night yeah. at uh, the Charlotte Coliseum, all 23,000-plus people there. Uh, what was it like? What do you remember about calling the first ever, and it was against the Cleveland Cavaliers? Yes, it was. What do you remember about that night? I remember uh, 23,000 fans staying to the end of a 40-point blowout, <laughs> and most of them were in uh, tuxes and long evening gowns, and they they gave us a standing ovation. It was unbelievable. It was like we did it. We've been trying, and it was. I thought it was such an important night for the city. You said, "Okay, you said you could be major league. Start acting like it," and they did. I talked to Bill Rosinski uh, in the episode where where he sat with me, and I said, "Not many people get to be get to call the first touchdown or the first points of a you know the birth of a franchise." You did. Yeah. Uh, what about that? Did you did you sort of have in your head how that was going to go or what you were going to say? Uh, no, my first worry really was that uh, I'd, I'd worked a lot of college basketball, and uh, the NBA was a different uh, a different animal. I said, this is going to be – we play 12-minute quarters. Uh, we could go on forever here. Uh, so a uh, college game usually you execute in about two hours. You usually like to get it in under two hours, uh, whereas the NBA game length of, uh, length of play at that time was about uh, – 215 to 220 so you're going you're filling a two and a half hour window uh i was i was worried I said, okay we started our programming at seven they tip <laughs> off at 7 30 and i'm i'm gonna be talking here till 10 so uh, i better not go necessarily at a sprint but a light jog all the way through and i think it was trapuca kelly trapuca i think scored the first basket which would be appropriate because he scored a lot of baskets for the hornets in their first year and a half but it was it was just it was it was amazing this is ours this is our toy to play with. They don't have this in Greensboro. They don't have this in Raleigh. They got it in Charlotte. Civic leaders, political leaders, everybody. There wasn't anything better that could have happened to this city at that particular time of its growth than to have a professional, a major professional sports team here, one to call their own and not to share with anybody else. You were sitting beside Gil McGregor. Yes. He was your first color commentator. Oh, yeah. I worked 16 years for them. Well, 20 victories is, I'm sure, not something that had to happen, but now that it has, everybody can be happy in sharing in this 20th victory. Well put. The gun sounds, the game is over, and the Hornets win number 20. 121 to 105 over the New Jersey Nets here at the Meadowlands. The Nets still win the series four games to two, but the Hornets continue their strong kick to the finish in this their inaugural season of NBA basketball. How about those Charlotte Hornets? I want to uh, I want to uh, quickly run through some names during those Hornets years, and I'll start with Gill because he was sitting beside you. Yeah. He certainly wasn't the only uh, guy you sat beside during your Hornets years, but he was the first. What What about Gill? The The thing about Gill is that. Uh, you have to remember at the time, Carl Shearer was working with George Shin as his general manager. And Carl, very rest his soul, was very 
savvy in, in the broadcasting. And Carl and I became very close friends uh, as time would move on uh, until his passing. And then, but Carl was influenced a lot by the university. He wanted to please Dean Smith. And so Dean would offer up a lot of North Carolina guys who were out of the business and try to get them a job as being uh, my partner on on the Hornets broadcast. And we went through three or four guys. And and then, uh, you know, nothing really stood out for us, although it looked like we were going to settle on Phil Ford. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, Phil did a good job for us uh, in auditions that we did, and we kind of built up to it. And then one night, um, some I, I, somebody had uh, approached uh, it might have been Bill Jennings or somebody here about uh, Gil McGregor. Here's the guy; he's an academic advisor at Wake Forest University. Played ACC basketball. Played with the Cincinnati Royals. Played with Bob Cousy. I mean, here's a guy. You know, uh, I mean, he's got a very impressive bio and probably has some traction here in ACC country. So we were doing a uh, we were doing Davidson basketball, and they were playing at Wake Forest, and so we go we go to Winston Salem we go to do the game, and uh, Paul Ingalls says let uh, let's try I've called Gil McGregor mm-hmm. want you to meet him before the game and then then the two of you work together, and so we went and we worked the game it was a great game Wake Forest won it and uh, I've never gone through two hours and asked for two hours more. <laughs> and that's what it was like with Gil. Uh, and we had a tremendous relationship. Uh, he was he was tremendous to work with. He understood what was going on. This is an expansion franchise. We're going to take our licks, you know, but we're going to surprise some people. And, I, and we all better be ready for when it happens. And with the Hornets... The, at least the original incarnation of the Hornets, you were probably with him longer than anybody else, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Pro- uh, yes, it was. I, I think uh, uh, Del Curry would be the second yeah. longest. And I'll get to some of those other names yeah. later in the process. Now, uh, being the uh, WBT nerd that I am, I can remember also who the TV lineup was for that yeah. first game, and it was Gary Sparber. Gary Sparber. And, and, and Mike Pratt. Right. Mike Pratt was a former coach at... Uh, what was then UNCC mm-hmm. uh, did a good job, and also was uh, he was a decent broadcaster. And Gary was a rising star in this business. And somebody that I haven't mentioned yet, but I'm glad we we came to this point because he was another guy at WBT in the, in the 80s. Yeah, um, and, and somebody you worked with, and a name that people who listened back then would would immediately recognize. Yes, and he and he. He succeeded me on the sports hall. I, I just felt he, he had a good information base and personality to do that. And uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't a bad move at all. He, uh, he became very popular. Gary Sparber, Gil McGregor, Charlotte Coliseum, 944 to go third period. Steve Martin will be back tomorrow night for the Cavaliers and the Hornets from Winston-Salem. And we get some quick stats in the middle of the third period. We'll tell you about on the fly because... And as a result of, a, of his popularity and his knowledge base and whatnot and his rapport with the audience... Um, uh, the folks upstairs, Jefferson Pilot uh, Communications Broadcasting, uh, thought he might be a good guy to lean on to move on to television. Mm-hmm. Uh, not as a full-time guy, but he would continue his work on radio, but he would also work uh, ACC basketball in particular. Um, 
And uh, that, of course, if, if you want to talk about what is the prestigious job in this company or in this region of the country, that, that would be it. And, and so Gary got his start there, and then it progresses on to the Hornets. And they say, okay, well, it's logical. He's well-known on the market. He, you know, Martin will be our radio voice, but Gary Sparrow will be our TV voice. And uh, I think that was a challenge, I think, uh, that Gary had trouble with, I think, uh, to a degree. Because you had, you, you had Gary was a, a sports talk show host primarily. He was very, very good at it. To all of a sudden put prejudices aside for one team or another, right. uh, you had, you know, in a sports talk show, you've kind of got to be magnanimous to a degree. Now all of a sudden, hey, you've got to be our guy. You know, you're the Hornets guy. You're not an NBA broadcaster. You're a Hornets guy, in particular. And I think uh, that was a that became kind of like a struggle for him. He and Carl were kind of at loggerheads for a long time. And Gary moved on and went out of the business eventually after a couple of years of that, which was indeed unfortunate because I thought he was an outstanding broadcaster. Well, the Hornets, uh, the first season was like a, a fairy tale in oh, many yeah. ways. The second season, not so much. The second season, I remember pretty well. Uh, by the time it's over, a worse record, and <laughs> and uh, you sort of had uh, the rude awakening of, okay, we're we're not the the shiny expansion team anymore. Yeah. Now we're just a bad team. <laughs> yeah, we got we got rust around the wheel wells. We uh, got uh, you know the engine doesn't necessarily work that well, but uh, the market was still interested. The the basic premise of why Charlotte got interested in NBA basketball was still there. It didn't matter. Uh, you know, and a lot of times, sometimes you you get your your butt kicked, but you were getting your butt kicked uh, either with players who were on your team that people had developed a relationship through their college careers, or opponents who'd gone, you know, who were fashioned in the same uh, in the same substance, because people followed them. They they, they uh, it, it was a unique time of year, and we built on the popularity of the ACC, which was it it's never been as huge as it was then. So at some point along the way, now we've talked about how you started on as the original voice of the Hornets mm-hmm. on the radio, on WBT. That gets established. You start doing some of these other projects. At some point uh, in, in the process, the Hornets take things in-house, yeah, correct? Right. Yeah. And uh, so uh, there's a point in here where uh, Steve Martin goes from being WBT employee to Charlotte Hornets employee. Exactly. And that's when it becomes a full-time job because, as I told you, the progression of the business – it was going. I mean, you got you got to sell your product all year round as a professional sports franchise. You're occupying, for instance, in the NBA's case, uh, you're occupying six months of your broadcast year. So you better find something for us to do the rest of the year. And and marketing the product is as important as the broadcast of the games themselves. And so you, you, your marketing season, there is no off season as far as the marketing of of any professional sports team. I mean, you see the Panthers try to maintain uh, a presence in the market. The the Hornets try to maintain a presence in the market. And it happens in every market in the country. So there is no off-season for teams. And and, uh, uh, some guys like to drift in, just do the games, and then go on to something else. Mm -hmm. I've I've never been that type of person. I said, you want me to to help the salespeople? You want me to help, uh, you know, whatever you need me to do and build the radio network 
uh, and at times for uh, the television network. We were, we were running two networks at the time. For the Hornets, in the early years, we ran the television network, which had about, at our peak, we had 12 stations on it, plus the flagship. And, and the radio peak was, I think, our, the most stations we had was 49 uh, for the Hornets. And we had a great area to market in. Really? Well, and you were, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you were director of broadcast operations for yep. the Charlotte Hornets, right? right? So yep. at what point in time do do you leave this place and, and go on to what you would do for the next couple of decades? 1990. Okay. Yeah, 1990, uh, uh, we decided to, I mean, the, the, the team decided uh, that they, you know, they saw the kind of money that uh, uh, the broadcasters were making and said, okay, we got to kind of centralize that a little bit. <laughs> and uh, this is something that we can market. And nobody cares about our product, even our station, as much as we do. So it makes sense. The more we control, the more successful that we will be. And and that's that's not just with the Hornets, but a lot of professional sports teams take that tack. And mostly the people who work in production and broadcasting are year-round employees, for the most part. There's something to do. You're building a network. You're looking at stations, and the best time to look at that stations is, are in the off-season. It's the easiest way to tell your story and to sell people on what you're trying to do. And then you tell them they're going to get inventory to sell, and uh, we're going we're to get inventory to sell. We've got those golden things called tickets that we can market to you, bring your people to our game, show you the excitement of the NBA in person, and then you can experience, hopefully through our broadcasters, what it means to have it on your air. So that's the philosophy that we undertook. Well, and you obviously, uh, you remain with the Hornets, uh, whether it be New Orleans or Charlotte, or back yeah. to Charlotte, uh, for the rest of your career. That was uh, the, the focus of everything for you. And, and this is a WBT podcast, so, um, you know, I'm not going to go down you know, into the weeds on everything. But sure. what I, I do want to do is uh, sort of come in for a landing here and uh, talk about uh, some of the names you worked with. And, and when you were... You, once you left WBT, that would end up being the last, you know, radio station uh, singular that you would work for. From from here on out, it was you're working for an entity that's distributing something for all these radio stations together on a network. Yeah, um, yeah. radio and TV. But uh, you, there was a period of time you started out with Gil McGregor, and then as you sort of evolved into doing TV and then some radio. I know there was a point in time where uh, you guys had four or five guys on your staff yeah. that could do either. So what happened was is that. Uh, we would have an over-the-air package on television and a package that went on cable. So the over-the-air package, uh, that's when we brought, when Mike Jeminski retired, uh, he moved in and we alternated Gil McGregor and Mike Jeminski depending on the medium that we were on. The center position is a international flavor tonight. The Lithuanian Sabonis made a big splash last year. The Serbian Divac is on a tear lately, 12 and a half rebounds over the last five. Sabonis is a deft passer inside. Steve, he's a terrific outside shooter. Divots must get up on him, crowd him, and make him run the floor. And that allowed us to to introduce another personality. And I think Mike Mike became uh, a very good broadcaster. And of course, what Mike and what used to be a lot of fun is that we'd be on the road, and then Mike and Gil would go out to dinner with us, and there'd be a huge political discussion. And here's Mike <laughs> way over here on the right. Here's Gil way over on the left. And all you had to do is just 
put your feet up, have your drink in your hand, and just watch it all <laughs> night long. And they would talk about everything. And the two very well-informed men having a, a knowledgeable argument that never came to anything more than and then I mean they never raised their voices at each other. They it just it was it was like a great comedy act. You watch a volleyball game, you watch back and forth. How about uh how about you you mentioned Valencourt earlier. Yeah. Uh, Jerry V, who who of course would I mean I, I did a podcast with him in this very series uh about a year ago. So we, we traced the career of Jerry V and his yeah. show here on the station. But uh people learned about Jerry V uh because of his his early days with the Hornets, and then he would stay part of that organization. Yes, he would. Uh, Jerry V was. I knew. I knew Jerry V for a long, long time. Still, I, I, I haven't talked to him in a while. But uh, he was an assistant when I met him. He was an assistant coach at Davidson, uh, and he was their top recruiter. He was the guy you, know, you want. You want. You know, Jerry will open the deal, and sometimes Jerry would close the deal. You know, and we were, He worked for Bobby Hussey. At Davidson College, and you know Davidson isn't—it isn't that hard to sell. It had a national reputation, mm-hmm. uh, but to bring a guy out like Jerry, who, I mean, I mean, there is not an argument that he can't win. You know, there isn't a case that he can't present <laughs> in its best light because he never stops arguing it. Exactly, right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, so he can be very convincing to a young seventeen-year-old or eighteen-year-old man who wants to continue his college uh, athletic career and his college career uh, in, in a good place and have people who care about him. And uh, uh, Jerry's that kind of person. He, un- he understood the recruiting battle very well. He understood basketball very well. Uh, he was great at both. And, uh, and the thing that I, th- I thought saw him grow as a person is that he, he, he applied the same principle to any broadcasting effort that he undertook. Hits Wesley as he curled off the baseline. Reggie marked him. Reggie falls down. David spots up. David hit it again. Oh, he made him pay. Oh, he made him pay. David Wesley, five points in a row. He's taken over the game. Jerry is, is, is an acquired taste <laughs> to a degree. Some people say, no, 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 that's, you know, he, he's the guy who's always talking at the party. I, I, I don't know if I want to. But he's, he's, he's always got something funny to say. He's always got something to add to your broadcast. And I, I enjoyed working with Jerry uh, immensely. Now, when you left to go do TV, yeah. a guy named Matt Pinto came here. Sure. Brian Hill last year became Shaquille O'Neal's personal tutor, spent countless hours with him trying to help him develop his low-post offense. He's going to have a similar task ahead here with Chris Webber. And and he went on to do, uh, I, I don't know if he still does. I, I heard him on the, the uh, I think it was the uh, Oklahoma City Yes, he, I Thunder. think he's still with the Thunder, I think. Dive into every Thunder game right from your mobile device with the official Thunder app featuring a live game tracker, radio stream, player stories, and more. Download the official Thunder mobile app now. Matt was really kind of, the one worry that we had, I remember when, uh, I think it was John Kilgo hired him. The one worry we had that Matt that Matt would always be looking for the next job, mm. uh, and to a degree we we experienced a little bit of that, but that has changed now. And then Matt Matt is, you know, uh, Matt understands that uh, the job is the Oklahoma City team, and and uh, they're my specialty, and and I can do this for a long time and retire and 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 all that, but. Uh, 
Uh, and Matt's an outstanding, he was an outstanding broadcaster. Kind of, he's headstrong. Uh, and well, you know, but he's got a great right. knowledge base. And, and so you always knew if you handed the job to Matt, it would get done. Now, he was the second play-by-play guy that you all brought through after you set the table. And then, uh, in years later, Bob Licht. Davis catch it, shoot it to Bozogon! He hit it! He banked it a three! They're waving it off because you cannot catch and shoot with seven-tenths of a second. We have overtime. Bob's a kid who worked in the Greensboro market, worked for our Greensboro uh, affiliate at the time. I, I guess it was WBIG, I think mm-hmm. it was. Mm-hmm. And uh, we we were able to bring him on our staff. And we had, I mean, I thought I had a bunch of uh, two Tigers. I had two guys and Gary Sparber and Bob Licht who could gather a sports story better than anybody else on, on radio, really. I mean, uh, we always had great stuff thanks to those two guys. And Bob was kind of like our reporter guy who made appearances here and there. But had the same dream, I think, as both Gary and I had, is to become an NBA or a broadcaster for a team. And that dream was realized for for Bob when he uh, moved along with us to New Orleans on, on the radio side. And he did a tremendous job down there. And he's still in Louisiana as it is today. I enjoy uh, Bob. Bob is just an enjoyable character. There isn't. Uh, uh, there's always a smile on his face. There's, it turns everything into a positive and is a very, very good broadcaster. So when you think, uh, once the Hornets, Larry Johnson comes to town, Alonzo Mourning comes to town, the team uh, you know, gets put on the map as far as yeah. a, a competitive level. When you think back during the years of, of calling the team, um, you know, moments, players, a few of them that always will stay with you as it relates to this station? Oh, I think probably uh, uh, Alonzo Mourning's game-winning shot uh, in the, against Boston in the first round of the playoffs that uh, really set the stage for us taking that series was really uh, probably one of the, the great moments. Uh, Greatest call of your career? It, that would be it. Yeah. That would be it. 103-102 Boston. And actually, you know, I called the game over. But technically, when Alonzo completed his shot and the ball uh, was, uh, you know, clock stops at that point, and was still two seconds left. The game is not over. There's four tenths of a second left. They're going to have to clear the floor. There's one tenth of a second more than is allowable to take. This great last basketball, Alonzo Mourning, he just spots up and shoots it. You hear people talk about the changing of the guard. There's Parrish, there's Alonzo. This is the changing of the centers, folks. The young guard has come to play. But, as Steve said, four-tenths of a second. So we got to execute. Boston's going to get a chance to execute an inbounds pass mm-hmm. at the other end of the court in front court. And, of course, our broadcast position was right at midcourt opposite the team benches. And that's where Kevin McHale had to inbound the ball. 
and he threw it to D. Brown, who could, was only about six two, but he could sky. I mean, just <laughs> he's over the rim. He's got his arm cocked. It's a perfect pass from McHale, who was the perfect coach's type of player. Yeah. But Kendall Gill is right there to block the shot. And McHale will inbound it. The drama runs high here in Charlotte. Let's see how it's executed here. McHale to the rim. Charlotte win. Game over. Series over. Charlotte moves on, and it's it was it was unbelievable. And that was and I think that was Kevin McHale's last game. Wow, that was 1993. Yeah. 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 It's the first year of the playoffs. That was a magical season. What a magical run that was. It was, it was, it was incredible. They brought the whole team down to uh, South Park to give us a send-off uh, to leave town. And, and uh, boy, that was special. Do you remember thinking when the Carolina Panthers came to town, was there ever a part of you that uh, had wanted to do? Because you did a, you did, you've done college football and college basketball, uh, and you obviously were were here with the the genesis of the Hornets. Uh, any part of you that ever thought, well, maybe I should have waited around, and maybe I could have done <laughs> Panthers football? Uh, no, I never really thought of of uh, the possible involvement with the uh, the Panthers. To tell you the truth, and for one of the, one of the strange reasons, I said. Golly, I don't want to start up another franchise. I mean, really. And, <laughs> I've done my time. Yeah, I've done my time uh, getting my head beat in. For, Of course, it would have been would have been easier in the NFL. You only get your head beat in 17 times before you're done. So, right. Uh, on this circuit in the NBA, it's 82. So big difference. Uh, but yet, uh, saying that, I ended up doing that when I came back to do what became the Bobcats right, right, and, and started over. I thought, oh, my goodness, what is going on here? <laughs> yeah, uh, and that's a, like I said, that's a whole other podcast maybe we can do sometime. Uh, now, WBT's era with the Charlotte Hornets ended when the team left to go to New Orleans. Right, yeah. Because when it came back, it's on our sister station now, uh, WFNZ, which yeah. I know for old schoolers like you and me, sister station, WFNZ, Used to be WAYS back. Yeah. I mean, how are these stations in the same building? But they are. Yeah, uh, it's how radio, this crazy business, works. But you called uh, many games there. But for the purposes of the the WBT podcast here, the end of the team. Could you have ever foreseen it ending that way in Charlotte? The way being part of how it began. Um, I can remember because I was, uh, you know, in on the negotiations uh, when we were negotiating our flagship deal continuance and we uh uh when all of the controversy began when the George Shin took on a partner Ray Wooldridge mm-hmm. and Ray kind of took over the front position and Ray announced we weren't going to pay anything you know we weren't going to pay the city anything to, they were going to build a building for us right and that was the beginning of the end that was you said what? No, we're not. <laughs> we're not. You know, we may end up building it for somebody, but it isn't going to be for you people. You know, I can tell you that George Shin had gone through his stuff, and then Ray Woldrich was supposed to make things better. But the first thing he did was instantly made everybody mad, and that was the basically the beginning of the end. And uh, it was it was kind of a a dark period because I remember we. You know, they, they eventually settled on moving to New Orleans, 
I was apprehensive about it, but I, I decided to go along with it and uh, because that's my job. And I don't feel like at uh, the age of 50 going out and trying to find a new career, <laughs> and, and especially when the, the people who own the team still want to employ me. And right. I can't make moving to New Orleans an impediment to that. And I'm glad I did, really. Actually, I enjoyed New Orleans immensely. It's a, it's, it, New Orleans has a, a fabric of its own. It, it has, uh, uh, it's a story of people who leave and then come back and say, I never should have left. You know, I, I know there's all kinds of problems here. I know that one hurricane can blow us all the way to Baton Rouge. You know, I know that. But I'm, I'm fine with it. People down there live with that. They exist because there's there's a love affair that uh, just doesn't end with that city, and I got bit by it for really I did, but uh, and I understand it, and I have a I have a soft spot. For but when Orleans. you came back here, did it feel like okay, this is where I'm supposed to be? Yeah, uh, because my wife told me it was, <laughs> uh, was supposed to be, and, and and she wasn't keen on on really moving, and I I kind of. And it proved to be a very good decision for me, not not only for my family's sake and my wife's sake, but also for my career, I thought, uh, to tell you the truth. To stay with the Hornets as they were in New Orleans, and they had a lot of problems there. Of course, uh, uh, hurricane hit, and now all of a sudden everybody's got to move. Katrina hit and devastated New Orleans, and, and so the Hornets had to move to Oklahoma City, and that became a great test case to prove to the NBA that, that Oklahoma City could, you know, sport a franchise. Uh, so it, it was a great period of growth for the NBA, for Oklahoma City. Uh, and eventually the Hornets uh, would settle back in New Orleans, then decide to change their name, which was a great move, and allowed us to pick up the Hornets, ditch the Bobcats, put the Hornets in, and then, of course, the time of the Pelicans in, in New Orleans. So, uh, But New Orleans was a... Uh, it was it was a great ride, and I can see as much devastation that happens in that city and the threat of it every time a storm blows up out of the Gulf. I can see why people love that city and want to stay there. One name I haven't mentioned at all, and I'm assuming you hired him, mm-hmm. and he's still here, uh, very much a part of the other franchise in town, the other uh, major franchise in town, and that is Jim Zoki. Yes. And uh, I'd be remiss if I did not uh, have you uh, say uh, a little bit about Jim, what you remember when he started, and and you know obviously what he's what his career's turned into. Well, Jim, Jim is amazing. It's amazing that he's stayed where he is at with regards to the the Panthers broadcast because, you know, uh, and and that says something uh, positive about Jim, more positive than you would understand because of the consistency that he brings to a broadcast. He could easily be a great play-by-play character in this in the NFL or any sport he went into. Uh, and when we brought him on in the staff here, uh, it, was, it was a great time. You had a solid sports guy who grew into the job and expanded it and then, of course, hit the mother load with his role with, with the Panthers. And he's an ideal guy for them. Uh, one constant that doesn't change. It takes a, a unique individual to play the role that he plays on the Panthers broadcast. Am I right? Did you hire him here? I was 
well, I think it was, uh, if I remember right, the, the, the group that was here, I think it was John Kilgo. Okay, but you were the, you were the sports here. director the sports then. Director. Yeah, okay. I had input into it. So he, he came it was in. Very easy. Did you, I was going to say, did, did mm. you look at a guy like him and say, he's going places? Yeah, that's, that's the guy. Yeah. You know, he said, okay, that's it. Search over. Part of it was because he was so talented. The other part was, I don't like doing searches, so <laughs> and and neither did John really say you like him, I like him. To go, boom. Well, so, I mean, we easiest could, decision to make. I could uh, I could go and just name every name I can think of that was associated with you while you were here. But before I move on to kind of the the, the last question for you, uh, anybody that I haven't mentioned that you believe should be in the Steve Martin conversation? Uh, no, I think we've hit them all. WBT turning 100 years old. Yeah. Only a handful of stations in the country uh, that, I mean, it's one thing to, to, to make it 10 years in one format, um, but it's, it's another thing to uh, be what this station has. And and uh, I just want to know, when, when you look back, where does WBT fit into things, and, and what do you think about your time uh, working here and, and your legacy here? Well, uh, as far as the station is concerned, there are very few... This is an iconic radio station. There are only a few of those in the country. This serves a unique market that heretofore, until maybe into the 80s, a lot of people didn't realize that Charlotte was this big. Charlotte is a banking center. Charlotte is that important a city. And when you think about WBT and what it has meant to the market, it still is, at the end of the day, it's a personality-driven Format, whether it's be talk, news, entertainment, that mission has never changed. There are personalities that come along with the station that you gravitate toward, you depend on, and and that was a, a big link, really a a, a catchphrase that uh, uh, a station that you could depend on. WBT, you can go everywhere else, you know, all the signals that you have in the market, but you know what this station's going to do. And, and it's it's up to the people that we bring and are part of the station that can uphold that standard. That's the first standard most of all. I feel good that I was able to uh, spend eight and a half years in, in this format as part of that formula. Uh, my association with WBT was uh, is something that uh, if I were out, I'm 68 now, and I'm no longer looking for a job. If I were out and put that on somebody's desk and say, yeah, I worked there for eight and a half years, I'd say, okay, great, great, we got our guy. You know, Give him a company T-shirt, he's here. <laughs> and it means that much. Well, uh, when you talk about uh, being here for eight and a half years, those are the years where WBT was, was the only game on your resume. It was, it was the central part of your resume. Right. Uh, but what I love about you and, uh, and Jim Zoki and, and Bill Rosinski and, you know, I like and, and some people who aren't involved in sports, but you come through this radio station and uh, then it sort of shapes what you do next. Yes. Like you carry it yeah. with you. And, and with your case, uh, you've you were on the station many years after you were getting a paycheck specifically from WBT. Right. Uh, and so the years that you were here, those eight and a half years, those those years formed you into the broadcaster you became uh, after that and you carry it with you. Well, I learned something. I, I, I learned a lot about this business, but especially about syndication. Uh, and I, I credit John Edgerton for a lot of that because he took me around and introduced me to the, most of the players 
in major markets, not in only in North Carolina, but in South Carolina. We we also got into Virginia. Uh, we got into Virginia Beach, and we got into the Roanoke market and Western Virginia market. Uh, so I, I learned an awful lot about what a broadcast like this can mean to stations like that. It, it provides programming and entertaining programming, uh, programming that seizes your attention uh, on more than one occasion in a, in a quarter-hour time, which is what we measure time here in radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it it, it it has an important, and I think that's sometimes, you know, the draw of sports, and in particular basketball, where things change so very quickly. Uh, and uh, yeah, I can't tell you how many games I've been involved with where we had a 20-point lead and lost by 15. You know, that's a 35-point swing. <laughs> there's some failure that happens in there somewhere. Uh, but there's success there as well. So I, I think uh, th- that's the beauty of basketball. That's why this is basketball country. Always has and, and kind of always will be. Well, you are the soundtrack of uh, an era on this radio station, the soundtrack of a of a franchise and the soundtrack in part of a, of a city sports scene. And not, not everybody gets to be able to say that about a career, but I knew I wanted to have you in here when we started this series. And you're a guy that I've grown up listening to. And, and since I've been doing this as my profession in my adult life, uh, have always marveled at all the things you do and, and just the sound that is Steve Martin. So thank you for doing this today. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a blast. And, uh, I'll try to tell my wife what I was doing the last hours. So. <laughs> Olsen guiding the club at the point. 13 on the shot clock. 14 on the game clock. Kempton comes out to get the ball. Kempton dribbles down the left side. Takes it baseline. Almost loses it. Five on the shot clock. Reed head fake. Turns. Fires. Shot. Blocked. Ramis with a shot. No good. Rebound. Ramis up and in with a tap. It's good. Hornets win. WBT was the flagship station of the Charlotte Hornets from the inaugural season in 1988 until the team relocated to New Orleans following the 2002 season. Steve moved with the team to Louisiana for a few years, but returned to Charlotte in 2004 when the city was awarded a new franchise, the Charlotte Bobcats. Rebound comes away to Biombo. Augustine on the run. Shovel pass. McGetty lay in. He went on to call TV and later radio games on WFNZ for 14 more years, during which time Charlotte regained the Hornets' name. Kemba Walker is now tied with Dell Curry for the all-time scoring lead. He'll take it down the lane, go up and under. Good, he's got it. Kemba Walker, the all-time leading scorer in Charlotte Hornets history. Analysts included Muggsy Bogues, Dell Curry, and Matt Carroll. From Maine to WBT to the NBA, in April of 2018, Steve Martin decided to call it a career. As you fade and fire off into retirement from the city of Charlotte, the entire state of North Carolina, the NBA, and of course the entire organization and all the fans across Buzz City, we want to say congratulations, thank you, we love you. You can never be replaced, but you always have a place in our hearts. Buzz City, let's hear it for Steve Martin. Fans, in recognition of Steve's 30 years of service as the voice of the Hornets, we'd like to present him with a personalized number 30 Hornets jersey. A Hornets quick starter watched courtesy of Tiso and a commemorative microphone. In addition, we invite you to join us next season for Steve Martin Night 
as part of our celebration of the 30th anniversary of the Hornets. Now, one more time, let's hear it for the voice of your Hornets, Steve Martin. It's the right time. You know, you, you know, you, you know two things in life. You know when it's time. To, you, you know when you you met the woman of your dreams, and then you know when to call your career over. So, we've hit the second one. You never really know. You know, you sit there and you're in a position for 30 years. And, uh, a lot of things have kept me going in those 30 years, including the people that I've worked with. I'm Bo Thompson. Join me next time for another edition of WBT's Century Podcast.